When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Tom Bernard Show with Andy Brant Bernard, JB, and Mike Molina. And we'll be right back, Tom Bernard Show. Due to the billions of marketing dollars spent by Walzer Automotive on Tom Bernard Podcast, you hopefully know that Walzer sells cars. What you might not know is that they also have two full-service collision repair centers in the Twin Cities. They're fully certified by all insurance carriers and can help you navigate all the paperwork if you ever have an accident. But wait, there's more. They've also been in the paintless dent repair business for nearly 30 years and can take those pesky dings out for just a fraction of what traditional bodywork costs. Broken windshield? Walzer Collision is a fleet of full-service mobile glass repair trucks as well. Walzer are pros at body and glass repair, but don't take my word for it. They have an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau and a nearly perfect 4.8 Google rating. Check them out at walzercollision.com. Michael Bryant, Brad Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Well, basically, we're trying to represent people who have been hurt then talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, one of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company and they start asking you questions or they try to settle your case early and cheap. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people have fear of attorneys. It makes them very uncomfortable. They get nervous about it. What should I do? I've known Michael for years and years now, and I would highly recommend you. So that should be good enough for everybody because I don't endorse people who are dirtbags. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, but I guess the key is, is people think I'll charge them if I talk to them. Right. So a lot of people call me up. It's like, how much is this going to cost if you call me back? Like, you want me to call you back? How much will that cost? I don't charge people. The only way I get paid is if we recover, um, if we get money from the, the other side. And there's a lot of people I talk to that I never get paid for that are just part of giving them advice to make sure they know what they can do and what their rights are. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. Well, it works. It's been good. <laughs> it's been good, ladies and gentlemen. It's been good. And how do they contact you? At, uh, e- either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. Ladies and gentlemen, Tom Bernard Show. Andy's in, JB's in, Mike Molina's in. I think Tim Harmston from Acme is going to be coming in later on today. He is here. We also have a guest in the third. Oh, Tim's there. Okay, yeah. good. Yeah, Thanks. hello. There he is. It's me. You notice that I they kept Mort all off this show so I, because he, <laughs> I penalized him for mispronouncing your name. Thank you. I was hoping that would happen. I was getting ready to write a letter. I don't, <laughs> I don't blame you. I don't blame you. We worked it out on Twitter, Attic. so... Well, I'm glad. Good. Good. I'm glad. How did he mispronounce Tim? Tim Harmstead. Not Tim. 
Oh. He said Tim Harmstead. <laughs> yeah. The very famous Tim Harmstead, let me tell you. Yeah. Coming from a guy whose name is mispronounced probably more than any other comedian in the country. Mordell. No, Mordell. No, no, no. Mordell. So. It's true. You know, he's going back on stage, though, which I think is wonderful. He is? That's great news. Yeah, I heard start that. touring again. Yeah? Good. He's such a funny, funny person. And, and coming up the ladder when I was just, a, you know, starting, he, he came up to me. And I've never told him this, so I hope he's listening. But he came up to me at the Minnesota Comedy Club, which was in Maplewood a long, long, long time ago. And he said, he goes, that joke that you wrote is really funny. And then he turned and he walked away, like out the tour. But it meant the world to me. I was like, oh, my God. Sure. Dave thinks I'm funny. That's great. So it really gave me confidence. I understand. Well, I can guarantee he's not listening because that would make, uh, take more than that. So, yeah. I guarantee he's not listening. He's, he's uh, writing jokes right now. Yes, that's what he's doing. That's exactly it. So things are good. Uh, Tim is at Acme tonight and tomorrow night. Tons and tons of people in town. Melina's crabbier than hell because mm-hmm. he can't get around. The traffic is horrible. So he's uh, lighting up JB like a Christmas tree. <laughs> he but, um, well, but he doesn't. Uh, his work environment hasn't been affected by it. I can't, I can't go anywhere. <laughs> Over on campus right now. Oh, I suppose, yeah. Because they have taken... It's that, that bad, huh? They've taken over Mariucci Arena, Williams Arena. Oh, yeah. Our indoor... Both indoor practice facilities, our track indoor facility, and it's like, you know, our teams are in season or about to start season, so the, all the teams that are in season, except for men's hockey, who has a bye week, all the rest of them got shipped out of town. Wow. Re- wrestling... No, you said they took it over. Do you mean white people? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess you could say white people because ain't no black people owning any NFL teams. Mr. Kraft no. took it over? Yeah, Mr. Kraft took it over. He just showed he up. Took over everything. Yeah. So who is over there? The Patriots are on campus or the Eagles? Are... The Eagles are on campus. So that's who's in our two, what used to be our old football football facility and in, also in our new football facility. So they're in both. Wow. Um there's some stupid event at the Mary G Arena, which is our ice hockey yeah, arena, sure. uh, called the Farm Bowl, where there's sure. farm contests, NFL players versus farmers in farm contests. Yeah. What? Yep. Now, is that a pay-per-view thing, or is that... It may be on the NFL <laughs> network. Who knows? Oh, That's <laughs> you know, wonderful. The amazing way people are trying to make money off of this thing is, is it's staggering, isn't it? Like, yeah. the, the amount of, like, bowls, like the puppy bowl, bowl the kitten bowl. Right. The, you know, watch TV. I was at the mall this morning, and, like, every single... Uh, store in the mall has some Super Bowl related, you know, trinket or shirt or hat or something. It's like it's unbelievable. Well, there is a sober bowl <laughs> on Sunday. Yeah, there is. What? There's a sober bowl. Lee, Lee uh, what's his name? Lee Steinberg is the host of it. Are yeah, you he, serious? He, 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 yeah. he and oh, yeah. Um, yeah, that's true. He and uh, Ryan Leaf. No kidding. Oh, yeah. Ryan Leaf. That's right. Ryan yeah. Leaf's yeah. a part of it too because oh. if anybody knows anything about drug and alcohol, yeah, it's Ryan Leaf. Yeah, well, Steinberg's <laughs> an interesting story. You know, he was like the biggest agent, wasn't he? He was the biggest agent in the NFL, oh, yeah. yeah, for still many, is. many still, years. Still is and in the, a way. Yeah, it's, and he, he kind of you know threw it all away with with alcohol, and then he made a comeback, and now right. he's representing players. It's really an interesting story, but but yeah, and Ryan Leaf, it geez, is. Liz. Yeah. And, you know, the fact that he threw away an entire NFL career. But other than that, you know. <laughs> yeah. Ryan, well, Ryan Leaf's story, and they did a uh, 30, 30, 
30 for 30 on him. He actually started stealing when he finally got kicked out of the league and he started yeah. coaching high school. He started stealing his high school athlete painkillers. Oh, wow. That's how he got busted. Wow. That's how he got busted. He Ooh. went to one of his players' house and was stealing painkillers. Wow. That's that's hitting rock bottom <laughs> yes, right there. That is. And his yeah, mother sure is. His mother looked at him and said, yeah, it's time for you to go. Yeah. Away. It, it sounds like he's kind of turned it around, though. Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. Him and I mean, that's got to be hard, too, to see the guy. Was it was it Eli Manning that right. was drafted one and two and and Leaf went to the Chargers and flamed out in two years and Manning went on to win two Super Bowls. And it's just got to hurt, yep. hurt so bad for him <laughs> to see that. But. It's a good story if he's turned it around. You want to have fun or you want to work? You can't do both. <laughs> yeah. So, you, know, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Because I've never known of any NFL player that went out and had tons of fun and was still great on the field. So. Oh, yeah, I don't know. I, oh geez. Oh, oh, the, Brett Favre? The, the... <laughs> did we talk about that the other day? Brett Favre was... Yes, we did, yeah. Tim. We talked about <laughs> Brett Favre. You got re- to remember the Raiders of the 70s and early 80s. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Those Lyle Alzado and, and, uh, and uh, Otis Sistrunk and yeah, uh, the the guy they called the Stork and all that whole Kenny Stabler, that whole group. They Ted Hendricks. Yeah, you're talking yeah, Ted, Ted Hendricks. Hendricks yeah, right. yeah. And they well, they would have the Super Bowl probably was every other year, or yeah. every third year in. in um, Merlin Olson. <laughs> no, not I love Merlin Olson. Yeah. Ram. Down in uh, New Orleans. And they would be seen on yeah. the streets in New Orleans all the way through the Super Bowl, even Saturday night before the yeah. game. Yeah, no curfew back then. Right, not for them. Yeah, and there was that great story of Taxi Max McGee for the Packers right. in the first Super Bowl. With, sure. And Lombardi had him on the sideline, and then there was an injury. So I said, all right, you get in there. But he was hungover. Some people say he was still drunk, and he bobbled that ball and won the yeah. won the game for the Packers. Wasn't he the MVP? Or? Yeah, I think he was. Yeah. He had, he had like, I don't know, six catches for mm-hmm. 140 yards on a hangover. It's <laughs> <laughs> really you impressive. Know, he and uh... – he and Mickey Mantle, Max McGee, Mickey Mantle. If your if your initials are double M, you got major problems. <laughs> yeah. Mickey Mantle. Honestly, oh, thanks. I guess, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, booze hound, booze hound, Mike Molina, double M. That's all I know. Yeah. But no, you know Mickey Mantle and Max McGee. Yeah. All, all those stories from back in the day. Those guys show up either drunk or severely hungover, and the coaches make them play anyway. Yeah, or uh, Joe Namath. He was a big party animal, wasn't he? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, we were talking about that, as a matter of fact. I think, I don't know if you were in then, Tim, or not, on the morning show, and we were talking about that, but there's a guy who was not very good on the field. He was just really good at showboating. I mean, his stats, his lifetime stats are not very good. Oh, Namath? Namath. Yeah. Is he in the hall? Oh, yeah. He won the Super Bowl, and he's in the Hall of Fame and all that stuff, but his stats are not that good. Yeah, but you know the funny thing about him is that he came at the right time mm-hmm. with the right swagger yep, and right. the right attitude, yep. and he did all those commercials in a big mink coat, and uh, the ladies loved him, and he was instantly—he was probably, would you say, like the first instantly marketable celebrity yep. sports person, you know? Because before him, they didn't really do. Well, he also had that had a bar in New York. Yeah, that oh, God. Bachelor's Three, <laughs> right? That everybody <laughs> yeah. wanted to go to. Yeah, and be at, and be seen. Yeah, and he had like, to put up with you know having Philly on his team. Right, that's yeah, right. Oh that's my right. God, Phil <laughs> Philly, Philly dog. Oh yeah, wow, oh, I forgot about that. Think about it. 
Yeah, the NFL made him sell Bachelors 3 because uh, mm-hmm. not only did uh, some out-of-towners like to show up, but so did the mob. Yeah, so. take some <laughs> why bets. Don't we get, uh, why don't we get rid of that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's true. God. Yeah, I could you imagine yeah, a you player know? these days having their own uh, nightclub? I, I don't. Does that exist? Is there an NFL player that has his own bar or nightclub? I'm sure. Well, they, I don't think so. I was in the locker room of, of uh, Lambeau Field, and they have a big list. They have a big sign on the wall that says all the stuff that you can't do. Like, and it's like no gambling, no this, no that. You know, any any person that mentions the word gambling within this, you know, this this room is is, is in violation. I mean. They took it. Namath and who, who was the pack? Paul Horning got Horning busted gambling. And, uh, Paul Horning, yeah. And uh, Alex Karras. And Alex, Alex Karras. Karras, yeah. Right. So I think after yep. that, the Pete Rosell must have been commissioner, and they just they, they put it. And that was smart, too, because baseball should have done that a long time ago, but they didn't. And yes. baseball paid a horrible price with Pete Rose. And his, uh, no, you're absolutely right about that. Well, no, they're, 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 they claim that, and I think I've seen this, and when you go into a Major League Baseball locker room, there is a sign. Yeah, there is that, now. Yeah. That's hung that says no gambling. And like, it's, a, it's a picture of Pete Rose with a line through his face, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, yes. because his teammates, his teammates like uh, Joe, uh, what's his name? Morgan. Morgan, thank you. And whatnot all said, yeah, that sign was in our locker room. I don't yeah. know why Pete didn't pay attention to wow. it. Wow. So that was up before yes. Pete. Long, oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, so, I, Tim, I have, to, yeah. I, was, I have to ask you a question. Sure. Standing in the locker room at Lambeau Field, what's that feel like? Oh, man. I mean, that's got to be amazing to stand in there. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I, I don't know if we've talked about this on the show or not, but I was before I did comedy, I, was a, I, was a, I worked in the film business as a uh, um, set decorator and a prop master. And so I would I was, uh-huh. throughout the 90s, I was... Doing a lot of uh, sports commercials with Michael Jordan and and um, you know Brett Favre and and I was I was based out of Chicago so everything was shot with you know Bo Jackson and Ditka and Favre was coming on and oh yeah so we yeah. went up to Lambo to shoot a Nintendo spot with Favre and um, I was the the lead prop person so I I got there and and the equipment manager said yeah come in come with me I'll I'll introduce you to Brett. And uh, we'll get you set up with all the footballs and all this stuff. And, and, you know, so I walked across the field and into the locker room. And there was Brett putting on his socks. And, I, you know, he went up to introduce me to Brett. And, yeah, I was, and as a diehard Packer fan, I, my brain just couldn't function. You know, it's like I was just <laughs> right. drooling like, a, you know, like an idiot. I was a little all. And I barely remember it, but I just remember sitting there waiting for Brett to put his gear on just talking to him you know like oh yeah where are you from and this and that and he was interested in deer hunting and we're talking about that and then and then um, we went to the equipment they have a big in the locker room they have this big counter it's like you know you just go up and check out what you need and you know wristbands or cleats or whatever and and then uh, I spent the whole day with Brett and uh, I have uh, and then he threw me a, a pass in the end zone at Lambeau, uh, between breaks, we you know we used film cameras back then, and when the film would roll out, there'd be like a three-minute pause, and so I had my my boss hand him a football and point to me in the end zone, and Brett waved me across the the back of the end zone, and he threw like just a missile, like I could I could hear the ball before oh. I saw it. <laughs> and it, and it went yeah, it went like right through my hands and hit me in the the groin, and I uh, I kind of like yeah yeah I bobbled it and it popped up in the air, and I, I was able to hold on to it and I ran into the tunnel and I thought yeah, I can die now <laughs> <laughs> no, no need for me to keep living and uh yeah that was my first uh, Brett Favre experience and and I found him to be a super nice guy like just just a big old hillbilly nice guy joking right. around but 
So what, what did you learn from that story, Tom? <laughs> well, the reason I asked him that story is because uh, many years ago, mm-hmm. uh, I guess, I don't know, 30 years ago, whatever it was, I went to the old Yankee Stadium yeah. right. with some, uh, some people, and I went into the Yankees locker room, and then all of a sudden struck me standing there this is where babe ruth used to be. yeah i mean geez. to stand in the same locker room where babe ruth used to be it just it yeah. really sends a shock through your system yeah yeah it is it, is, it really is a it, it, it's a um you know i mean i'm really into um historic places you know like i i right. go i right. seek out places and i get like just electric you know like I, i'll go to i'm in new york a lot and i'll go to the dakota where you know john uh, Lennon was shot. And you just, mm-hmm. just, I mean, and not that that's yeah, a yep. good feeling, but it's just like, wow, and just kind of soak it up. And so for me, being in the yeah. field, being on the field at Lambeau and catching a pass from Brett was just, you know, for a Packer fan, oh, yeah. it was just beyond anything. And I still, you know, and I, I did a lot of uh, work with Michael Jordan and, and handing him his Gatorade bottle and a basketball and stuff over the years and so i got to shoot hoops with michael a lot and during you know breaks and hang out with him and have lunch with him and stuff and and you know i just it was a really cool gig but being in lambo was just the best the reason why i asked tom that question because i was going to make the, the comment see nothing happens without an equipment manager just remember that <laughs> yes that's exactly it. no question that's about true. it just well, see, that. when i was there at yankee stadium uh obviously babe ruth was long dead so instead of getting that experience i just had 12 hot dogs like he would have <laughs> so you know it all worked out in the end yeah, yeah i got the feeling you got the same feeling so you know i would love to see babe ruth um, in the league today by the way like <laughs> be interesting that would be interesting it's true we'll take a break be right back tim harmson in studio he is at acme tonight and tomorrow night right back tom bernard show i'm brad huckle president of north american banking company ask one of our bankers what they love about business banking they always say the relationship with a client case in point true north oral surgery and implants is a longtime customer with a growing practice their banker julie marshall knows the ins and outs of what they do so when they need working capital and equipment loan or funds for expansion they call julie are you looking for a banker you can count on give us a call this is tom why not bank with my banker north american banking company a better banking experience member fdic an equal housing lender this is Tom, and I've been telling you how easy it has been for me to lose weight on the Nutramost Weight Loss Plan. My goal has been to lose 92.5 pounds. Well, I've started up another round at the new Nutramost Plymouth location, and I can't wait to shed those extra unwanted pounds. Nutramost is unlike any other weight loss program. It's just so easy, and they guarantee that you will lose 20 pounds or more in just 40 days. There's no exercise, shots, drugs, prepackaged food, and I'm never hungry. The team at Nutramost in Plymouth will support you every step of the way, on your wellness and weight loss journey. Then, after you hit your goal, Nutramost in Plymouth is there for you with the Nutramost Forever Plan, an all-inclusive wellness program that improves and promotes healthy living and choices. Nutramost has helped me change my life, and I know they can help you too. Nutramost Plymouth, located just off Highway 55 and 494. Call 763-333-7337. That's 763-333-7337. Oh, jeez. <laughs> this is for Tim. <laughs> Did I bring it down? Tim crazy. Uh. <laughs> you know, we were having fun today, and then he brought up a massacre. But other than that... You, know, that you have to be careful what you say around Mike, because 
it's bound to be a song yeah. tied to it at some point. Good. Well, mm, yeah, it's very true. Uh, uh, Every time I'm in New York, though, I go up there, 72nd and uh, Central Park West, yeah. Strawberry Fields. Yeah, yeah. Gosh, that's a that's a sad. I didn't mean to bring it down. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was. You I know, was. I remember when my mom died, and it's, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny Way because to go, Tim. <laughs> no, but I remember speaking of like we're talking about football. Like I remember when I found out John Lennon died, it was by watching football. Remember yeah, that Monday Night Football yeah. and uh, Howard Cosell. Howard Cosell, yeah, and and it was was the Redskins and the Packers, maybe. I don't. Was it the Dolphins? Might have been. Or Dolphins? Yeah, yeah. I remember I breaking news. Yeah, that was. I like to do this to podcasts. I like to come in and bring it in. I'm yeah, like the uh, the dumper, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure all the all the stations that's on throughout the state, uh, Minnesota, they're really gonna appreciate it. Hey, yeah, the show kind of knows that. Like yeah, we got we got to book uh, this Harmston guy. He really yeah. knows how to come in and cool it off. Yeah. Let's get Armston to come in. Jeez. I actually found out that he had died because I, I, uh, my mother was living with me at the time, and uh, I woke up because I was doing a lot of traveling for for Capitol Records. I was working at Capitol Records, and I was traveling all over the place. So she would stay at the house with a couple of my younger brothers, and I woke up and she was gone to work already. But on the dining room table there was a little note, and all it said was, "They killed John Lennon." Oh, jeez. Oh. That's what it said. I didn't say who wow. it was. It said they killed John Lennon. Mm. Wow. I will never forget that. It was uh, New England like, uh, and Miami. New England and Miami. New England and Miami. Yeah. We're, so there we're, you go. Was John Lennon on Capitol Records back then? Or was he? Because, you know, um, on his, yes. He was. Wow. He was, yeah. So you lost. Uh, uh, I think it was that when rock and, rock and Roll had come out in, what, 79? When did, remember the John Lennon yep. Rock and Roll album? Yeah, it was 78. What year did that come out? 70, 78, okay. Yeah, I think so. Wow. Somewhere in there. I started at Capitol in 77, so, yeah, the, the Beatles were all still on Capitol Records, but they were all solo acts at that time, obviously. <laughs> but um, interesting. Yeah, wow. Very interesting. Uh, yeah, that was not a bad job at the time because we had Bob Seger, Steve Miller, we had the Beatles, we had all the Be- Beatles catalog, the Beach Boys catalog. Uh, it worked rather well. You could get a lot done by saying, really, yeah. you want that done? Okay. Yeah. Did you have the Chicago Transit Authority? Nope. They were on, I believe, Columbia. Were they okay. Columbia or Atlantic? I just watched. I can't remember. I I just watched that too, the just, Netflix th- yeah, piece about that. That was mm-hmm. pretty cool. Yeah, you know? there was an interesting thing on them on Netflix and how um, um, the band just has gone through all these different twists and turns and whatnot. Yeah, that was great. I, and that Peter Cetera Ter- went out right. went out on his own, and it was kind of a. And the, the rest of the guys in the band said, "Screw it, we're we're forging ahead." And mm-hmm. and now they, you know, they got a new singer, and and uh, yeah, it was great. I love Chicago. But uh, did you get to go to the Capitol Records building a lot, Tom, when you were doing? Oh that? yeah, wow. That's a really weird thing because I was talking to, about a month ago. Uh, I was talking to Tina Sinatra. Wow. And we were talking about the fact that the, the studio is well, it was I, I assume it still is. I don't know why they would have touched it. But at the Capitol Records Tower, uh, right there in Hollywood, um, the studio where her father and Dean Martin yeah. and all oh. of those people used to record, the the mics are still there, the mics they use, the studio's still there. It's really, really fascinating wow. to go in there. That's got to be on the really cool. register of historic places. you got to figure that out. I would right? think so. Yeah, they couldn't tear I have that a great down. story to tell you about, about Hart. Oh, wow. So I'm up in the uh, executive vice president of promotion, Bruce Wendell's office, and uh, 
And uh, <laughs> Ann, is it Ann? Which one's the bigger one? Uh, Ann and Nancy, right? Yeah, Nancy. And, I think Nancy was the blonde one, right? And then and then Ann. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe had a pound or two on her. <laughs> I'm I don't trying remember. to be nice here. <laughs> when I, anyway, the bigger one, she was there and she was going. Well, how else am I going to put it? Was she a big girl? Yeah, she had a big heart. Yeah, <laughs> the non-blonde one definitely. Well, she's for one, she's out several inches taller than her sister. Right. Yeah. So there's that. So we're we're up in the office and she's talking uh, and she's saying, "Hey, you know, I just want you to know that I've been working out a lot lately and I'm really watching what I'm eating because I was getting tired on the road and and I'm uh, getting myself in much better shape and I'm really paying attention to." To what I eat, and uh, I just I want you guys to know that. So, get if you get behind this album and promote it, uh, I won't let you down. I just want you to let me, let you know that. Yeah. Well, great. Okay, that's wonderful. So I'm sitting there talking to Bruce and and, and Steve. Uh, Steve was a national promotion director, and and as we're talking, I'm looking out the window, and I see Ann and Nancy get into a limousine, and then I see the limousine turn right. Take another right, yeah, and go to the Burger King drive. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. we'll never forget that. It's really funny. <laughs> yep, that was an interesting period because I was at Capitol from '77 to '82. Wow, and I just happened to be um, be in in LA when the Thriller album was released. Oh, geez, and I, I will never forget. Now that was not on Capitol. That was on. I think he was on Epic. Epic. Yep. Michael was on Epic. I think it was, I don't remember for sure. <clears throat> it was or the Motown. No, it wasn't was Motown. Motown. It was on Epic. I it think. wasn't Motown. Yeah, and that came I, out that's in what I think. Eight, late '82. I thought that was right. Thriller. Yes, '82. Yeah. What do What are your What are your memories of that? Like, did that come down like any like unlike any other album that had ever been released? Unlike anything. Yeah. Unlike anything, because you heard it the second you heard that album, it's like, oh my God, is this thing going to be huge? Yeah, Quincy Jones, I believe, produced it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tim, what, what, God, what was the, the guy who wrote most of the music for it? Don't remember his name. Very famous guy, actually. Yeah, Quincy Jones. But you, no, Quincy Jones produced it, but they had a different writer. Um, I, but the second you heard, particularly the title cut, yeah, oh god, you went, oh my god, this thing is going to be yeah. huge. Well, and they had uh, Eddie and Van Halen on the uh, on the guitar licks. Yeah, you know, it was. I remember that as a kid, and and just staying up to watch it on Friday night videos, and it was, it was literally, you know, the ki- every kid in the neighborhood gathered around a TV to watch it, and then you you would wait another week to watch it again and again and again, and it just never, it just went on forever. It was like a two-year uh, oh, two, yeah. news cycle for that album. And then Purple Rain came out in 84, and I think, yep. you know, that kind of, he I don't think Prince, you know, rode that wave, but I think Prince's, no. Prince's release came out in the era of, okay, a mega album can sweep the nation mm-hmm. with this MTV stuff. Yeah. And, and so those two albums in between 82 and 84 were really amazing. It's were you thinking of uh, Rod yeah. Temperton? Rod Temperton. There you go. Okay. Not Tim. It was Rod Temperton. There you go. So he wrote Rod those Temperton, songs. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. I didn't know that. I thought yeah, Michael I wrote right. some of them, but I guess not. Michael wasn't well, I, really a writer. Not really, no. I think he, he would adjust things. and You know, I'm, I, it's interesting you bring that up, uh, the, the, the video, because that was the, the piece, too. So Catherine and I were out there. And, and uh, we're staying with a friend in Hollywood, as a matter of fact. And the Thriller album came out, and we were listening to it going, oh, my God, this is going to be huge. And then they said, a couple of days later, I got a call from Kevin. I said, 
you're going to have a hell of a job ahead of you. Have you seen this video? I said, what are you talking about? What video? They said, the, the thriller video. I said, I have no idea what you're talking about. They said, turn on MTV. So I, you turn on MTV, and it was, oh, my God. That that thing played over and over yeah. and yeah. over. Well, it was, you got to remember, before that video, uh, Black communities complained about the fact that there was no black people being played on MTV. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, mm -hmm. that got released, and it was once an hour yeah. that video was on. Yep. And it was like, and then Prince started getting played, and other people started getting played on there, and then you got to Yo, Yo MTV. MV, uh, yeah. MTV <laughs> Thriller's better, I think. Yeah, Starlight was not going to make it. Thriller is much, much better. And then having Vincent Price do oh, the voiceover yeah. on it was not a bad idea. Yeah. Did you ever hear? That was genius. Did you know that um, that that there was supposed to be an, a cut on that album? I believe with Freddie Mercury and. And Michael singing. It's called mm -hmm. there, There's More to Life right. Than This. Have you heard that song? I have never heard the song, but I know I know what you're talking about for sure. Yeah, and Freddie was like, Freddie was like, this guy, you know, Freddie came to L.A. to record the song, and Michael kept bringing a llama into the studio. And, and Freddie's like, I can't deal with this anymore. And he, he laid the tracks down, and he took off. And Michael was like, I don't know if we have a great relationship. Maybe I'll... I'll shelve that song, but then it came out like I don't know a few years ago, and it's great. It's a great track. It's called "There Must Be More to Life Than This," and it's it's really sweet and um, it's kind of got that um, you know the one he did with McCartney, that kind of a uh, pretty young thing. Was that what it was? Mm -hmm. Pretty yeah, yeah, pretty young thing. Yeah. Yeah. Was that it? P Y T. Oh yeah, yeah. And gosh, it's it's a lot like that. It's just a really great track, and so um, I think it's on iTunes, but. Man, I love Freddie Mercury. By the way, I'm a huge, huge Freddie Mercury fan. So, I... Freddie had a lot of fans. There's no, there's no question about that. <laughs> but you knew, you just knew Freddie was not going to live a long life. No, no. He yeah. was a very, lived a very dangerous life, and he just knew he wasn't going to live very long. It's really sad, actually. Yeah, yeah. I, I was but, talking about that Freddie Mercury clip on YouTube about it, they put him next to Kanye singing um, Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh, <laughs> it's God, one of the funniest. Oh, it's one of the funniest uh, <laughs> clips out there. It was pretty, pretty amazing. Well, but, Kanye is no talent whatsoever. <laughs> but other than that, every time you talk about your Capitol record days, the only only thing I can think think of is some guy sitting behind a desk. They're screaming, "Smash!" What? I was talking to the trades that scream and smash because they all were from Philadelphia or New York City, so they all had that accent. Yeah. And they were, hey, Tommy, let me ask you a question. My favorite is, Melina, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to, there's a minute here. I'm sorry, but I kind of got known because I, I handled it pretty much the 8 to 10 state Midwest area, so I was going to St. Louis and Chicago yeah. and, you know, Kansas City and all over the place. I'm going all over the place, and then I'd fly out. <laughs> To Hollywood and this, that, and the other thing. <laughs> I'll never forget. I was kind of known as a guy because again, we had a massive catalog behind us. Sure. And if you needed anything to get done, you would give them, you know, Beatle catalogs to give away on their radio station. Wow. That bought a lot of influence. Yeah. I'll tell you that. Yeah. So I was known as 
kind of a guy that kind of, I, I didn't put up with a lot of BS. Like a, like a lot of record guys got beat up by the radio stations. Go, I'm not doing that unless you do this. Yeah. Well, I didn't do any of that. I just go, forget it. I'm not, don't threaten me. It's not going to work. So here comes the edit. So count it down. Uh, <laughs> I get a call from Bruce, the executive vice president of promotion capital. He goes, hey, Tommy, how you doing? It's Bruce. <laughs> I said, yeah, I know, Bruce. How you doing? How's everything going? Everything's fabulous. I just called you. I just want to ask you one question, not a big deal. I mean, nobody's upset about it, but uh, let me ask you a question. I said, yeah, Bruce, whatever. He goes, yeah, did you tell the guy down in Omaha to go fuck himself? <laughs> I said, yeah, I did. And he goes, okay, talk to you later. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> it was an interesting business. But, yeah, they would they'd want you to do this, that, and the other thing. Yeah. And the other thing I did was I was the Capitol Records uh, autograph guy. Wow. I would tell people this. Almost every autograph, have it authenticated because almost every celebrity autograph is not really their autograph. Wow, I didn't know that. Yo, God. it's Some of them are, and you can get it authenticated and all the rest of it. People are very, very good at that. But there was one guy that wanted me to get the Beatles to autograph an album for him. Now, the Beatles weren't together anymore <laughs> by 1977, 78. <laughs> You know, they weren't together any longer, and they really didn't get along. Paul and John didn't get along yeah. all well either. So he said, I, I just am not going to do anything for unless you get the Beatles autograph, uh, you know. Wow. Uh, I don't know if it was whatever <laughs> album it was. doesn't matter. But he, I said, okay, th- yeah, whatever. So it was impossible. Yeah. They were not going to do it. It was not going to happen. So I sent the guy the album, and I just wrote on it, The Beatles. <laughs> and he accepted that as their autograph. <laughs> well, you got a problem yeah. there. It just says the Beatles, yeah. so you know it's on eBay. I, I saw it on eBay. I think it was five. It probably is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I would. I should look on eBay once in a while and go. Ooh, be careful with that. I think I might know the person who autographed that album. Uh, yeah. There's a possibility that it might not be everything you were looking for. Tim Harmson in the studio with us. He is at Acme tonight and tomorrow night, and we will be right back. More with Tim right after this Tom Bernard show. Tom Bernard here. Minneapolis is gearing up for the biggest football event of the year. And you've probably heard the myth that you should wait until after the big game to sell your home. What? If you're thinking about selling, now is the time. Why? Because buyers are hungry and most sellers aren't even in the game. But the real key is fielding the right team. And that's my buddy Chris Lindahl's team with REMAX Results. REMAX is America's number one real estate franchise. And the Chris Lindahl team is America's number one REMAX results team. Why? Because they've got the right game plan and the best players at the skill positions. They know how to market your home. They know how to use social media. And they know how to win. On average, the Chris Lindahl team sells a home every nine hours for over the MLS average. Don't wait until after the big game to get a big win on selling your home. Call the Chris Lindahl team at 763-401-SOLD and the first two callers will get a free staging package. This is a huge value. And it's only going to the first two KQRS callers from this ad. That's 763-401-SOLD. Get a free staging package and win big on selling your home before the big game. Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. When you call Sabre for service, you'll get a certified technician that's an expert at diagnosing, repairing, and installing heating and air conditioning equipment. Sabre Techs give you the service you need, not the other stuff that you don't need. When you combine that with Sabre's A rating for customer service and the best equipment from Bryant, you get exactly what you need. So make the call to Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning today. Sabre and Bryant, whatever it takes. Yes, and all of the things that I said that I wanted. 
I loved him. Bob Wells was uh, an amazing guy. Uh, another guy died very young, unfortunately. But he, the last time that I that I followed him around on the road, because that's part of what I did at Capitol, is follow groups, uh, acts around on the road. And the last time I saw Bob Welsh, he was reading a physics book. And I said, Bob, what are you doing? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of getting ready for the, you know, when the, when the Big Bang comes, I said, "What?" <laughs> and he said, "You know, when when like we go World War Three happens and it goes all nuclear and all that, I'm trying to figure out a way to create my own electricity so I can still play my guitar." <laughs> <laughs> and he was totally serious. Had he been he was smoking something there at that point? Well, <laughs> he was wearing sunglasses and a beret at midnight, so you know, <laughs> the possibility. Wow. I will never forget that. He, honest to God, he, he, he was going to create his own electricity so he could play his guitar after World War III's nuclear holocaust. Man. <laughs> well, he's got a right idea, I guess. Got to do what you like hey, doing. Listen, my whole family. <laughs> yeah, exactly. My whole family's dead, but some people still want to hear hypnotize. You know, <laughs> whatever works. But that part of the business was was great. I want to talk to you about, about your job. So how many years did, did you shoot film in chicago uh I, I went to film school at columbia college which is a it's a huge uh film and radio tv um art school in chicago so i was down there from 1990 to about 2005 i guess so about 15 really? 16 years i lived in uh yeah i lived in the ukrainian village um you know just west of uh damon and uh chicago area and uh mm-hmm. yeah and uh yeah i was doing I, I started as a production assistant and then quickly moved into the art department because i was good at uh, shopping and uh returning things <laughs> to target you know and uh no, to I mean, target yeah but uh, you know i don't know why i was born with like you know i had good taste for a for a you know 22 year old kid but i could you know the art directors and the production designers would send me out to, to um, you know, hey, go go photograph couches. You know, back then we had Polaroid cameras or whatever, so I'd get some sure. Polaroid film and go out and shoot couches. And they were like, yeah, you got some good taste. And so I just <laughs> sort of moved into that area. And before I knew it, I was, uh, you know, I was on set doing set deck and and props. And so I probably worked on you know five hundred to 600 commercials over the years and made a you know i made a good living doing that and you know i joined the union and and i'm still in the union and and, um i you know every now and then i come out of retirement if it's a cool commercial like i did the discount double check oh you do yeah i come out of retirement you know oh you did yeah i did one of those where uh aaron was in the classroom doing the um with a bunch of kids and it was really fun and so i got to work with aaron and and uh, yeah, it was, but it was great. I had so many stories. I mean, I could literally talk, talk, write a book about it. But you know, we're working with Michael um, and Bo Jackson were two of my favorite guys because he, yeah. Bo was with the White Sox in the early '90s, and Michael was just going bananas after he won the first uh, mm-hmm. championship. And so every every week was literally Gatorade or McDonald's or Hanes underwear or whatever he was selling. So we got to work together a lot, and uh, I did that for a long, long time and traveled all over the world. And and then comedy kind of came in because I realized that when you're working on a commercial, you're doing it for someone else, the client, uh, you know, Pepsi right. or whoever right. it might be. It's not really for you. You're just sort of, you know, following orders. And so when I, 
I, I went in and I tried improv at uh, Second City, and um, I hated uh, hated improv because I didn't like oh, I didn't God. like being on a team with <laughs> with people. No, I I know I get it. Yeah, so I I just I walked into Knuckleheads, which was in the Mall of America mm-hmm. back way way back when, and uh, yep. and uh, walked in and said I'm going to try stand up, and and I did it, and I loved it, and then kept doing it, and while I was you know coming up the ladder with stand up, I would still go down to Chicago and make commercials and. And, um, but it was great because I could be, you know, I could work on a commercial for 10 days and then come back and have 10 days to write jokes and then go back to work. And, you know, so it was a good job to have while you're doing comedy because, you know, it takes you 15 years to make a buck doing, telling jokes, you know, so, so it was great. That was amazing. I bet you, you and I probably worked for a lot of the same people because, uh, a little before you said you started about 1990. Yeah. Yep. Doing commercial. Yeah. Because I would. Uh, I did the voice of Gatorade for from like 1982 to I think 86 something like that. Wow. The 84 uh, the 84 uh, Olympic. Yeah. I, I, that was an that was an interesting situation because the the 84 Olympics I was on Gatorade and McDonald's and Sears Automotive and I appeared on the 84 Olympics more than anybody. <laughs> You know, wow. just my voice did. Yeah, because but it was all because of Chicago. Because I, yep. I was with A plus was a yep. talent agency back then. Yeah, and I uh, worked a lot for Leo Burnett, and sure. Walter Thompson, the same people you worked for. Yep. I guarantee, it was oh, the yeah. same people that you worked for. Yeah, but it was God. It was so much fun. I was by then, uh, you know, late twenties, early thirties. So for for a 22, 23, 24 year old kid, that must have been. I mean, it was it was fun for me as a 26, 27 year old. So I can't even imagine a 22-year-old. It must have been fascinating. Yeah. Well, I was the, the, the best part of my whole you know college experience was that I went from Menominee, Wisconsin, a town you know in, in rural Wisconsin, and I went. Yep. I said I got to go to film school, and I had horrible grades. The only place that would take me is this Columbia College <laughs> in downtown <laughs> Chicago, and it was open admission. So I, I you know ponied up the money, and I went down, and I lived in a dorm. Uh, at Wabash and Congress, right, like literally right oh, sure. in the middle of down of the. This is and this is back when like uh-huh. the Palmer House and the, you know the Chicago Hilton. Oh yeah, and I the Trader Vic's and like all these like legendary things that were happening and and you know and 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 you would go down to um, you'd go into a bar. I would walk into any bars, eighteen years old, and then get a beer. No one would ask anything. Sure. You know, this was like you know sure. and all the characters that you meet in these bars and the. You know, if I wanted to place a football bet, I could just walk down to the neighborhood bar. <laughs> you know, this was Chicago. And it was kind of like the last of the golden age of Chicago, you know, because the city really. Yeah, I know. You know, it's changed so much. But, oh, and Buddy Guy. Buddy yes. Buddy Guy had a bar. You know, the legendary blues musician had a bar sure. called Buddy Guy's Legends. And so it was right down the street. And so that was my hangout. So. After class or before class or whenever, I would go to Buddy Guys, sit at the bar, and oh, who's this? John Mayall just walked in, or Eric Clapton came oh, in, and God. you know, or Keith Richards would come in when the Stones were in town. Like it was, it, and I was, you know, I was just a kid, and so being in coming from you know small town Wisconsin to downtown Chicago for a couple of years was one of the most insane. We got we used to get we used to get a case of beer. This is a true story that nobody ever believes. We'd get a case of beer, and when it was really hot, and we'd go climb up into Buckingham fountain and because there's ladders in there if you you go you jump over the fence you push up the ladder you climb up that ladder then you push up the next ladder and next thing you know you're in the top of the fountain like your own hot tub with a case of beer and we just sit in there and drink and and um, it was yeah it was one of the craziest 
craziest experiences and then i stuck around and did did uh, props and and it was just a great you know great way to to make a living and and meet people and have some good stories so what a, i mean what a fantastic experience for you said you were 18 at first yeah your first year down there yeah I mean, right out of high school, you leave Menominee, Wisconsin. You end up doing that at 18 years old. So you, I mean, you know what it feels like. Because I, and again, I was quite a bit older than you by the time. Because I started voiceover when I was 25. So yeah, I was seven years older than you, but still at 25, coming out of yeah. coming out of Minneapolis, St. Paul, it still was fascinating to me that there was that. As a matter of fact, to, to the first place that I went to eat down there all those years ago when we went down to Chicago for that Hall of Fame thing, we went back to Gene and Giorgetti. Oh, jeez. I, I, I love Gene and Giorgetti. Yep, yep. Always classic. have. Yep, it's one of the all-time. There's still a few of those old holdouts, the, the classic Chicago, yep. you know, like the Billy Goat under under uh, Michigan Avenue oh, and Gene and Giorgetti. And, and, people, and I, I got kind of burned out on Chicago because I couldn't, I couldn't live. You know, if coming from a small town, I had to get in the woods. I fish, and uh, my wife and I camp. And, oh, yeah. And so I couldn't handle it anymore. But, man, going down to Chicago for a weekend of just, you know, celebrating or if you, you know, go down for Christmas and visit my family. And, like, Chicago is oh, one yeah. of the great cities that doesn't get enough credit. I love it, but I, I it like. My, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, it's my favorite city in the world, actually. Yeah, my, Chicago is my favorite city in the world. It really is. Yeah. Love it. Yeah, yeah, me too. I, I just do. So, but uh, it's a whole different deal. Going to Wrigley Field. First time I was ever at Wrigley Field. <laughs> I'm sitting at Wrigley Field watching a game. It's a magnificent stadium. If people have never been to that ballpark, you have to go to Wrigley Field. Yep. Uh, Mike Kingman's in town. I think probably with the Mets at the time. I don't know for sure. I think he was with the Mets at the time. Yep. Yep. But he hit a home run so far that it hit the building across Waveland Avenue. Yep. <laughs> I will never forget as long as I – he hit it out of the stadium. Yeah. Dave Kingman, God, it was right? Wonderful. Was it Dave Kingman? The, Dave Kingman. Oh, yeah. Did I say Mike Kingman? Yeah. It's Dave Kingman. Yeah. The tall blonde guy, is sandy blonde yep. hair, big, big lanky guy. Yeah, boy, he could hit the ball. Yeah, I worked – that was the other part of my story too is that I worked at Wrigley – um, but the first summer I was down there and the second summer, cause I lived near the stadium and I walked over and I said, could I get a job as a security guy? So I worked in the bleachers for two summers. Um, oh the, man. Yeah. And that, I could write a book on that one too, because man, the stories, this is right when like cell phones came around the brick cell phone. Mm. So you get all these uh-huh. day traders that would be out in the, the bleachers getting, you know, pretty lit up at around noon for a one o'clock game and on their phones calling their friends like, I'm at Wrigley, come on down, you know? And, and man, it turned into a party by, you know, on a, a Friday, one o'clock game at Wrigley would turn into a mess by four o'clock you know <laughs> it was, oh yeah and they had oh, like a yeah. yeah they had a little police station underneath where they would arrest people and i had people throw stuff yep. at me and but man was that the, that was really the golden age of Wrig- wrigley's coming of age i think was in the early 90s and then sammy sosa came and the energy yep. got you know and ryan sandberg was there and, and man that was just that was fun and and i could only take so much of getting stuff thrown at me before i had to leave but I understand. People need to understand also that Wrigley Field did not have any lights. They could only play yeah. day games there at that time. Yeah, that was, was. When did they finally get lights? Th- it was a few years later. Well, I think the lights came in on eight eight eighty eight. I remember that it was August eighth, nineteen eighty eight. Yeah. So they had just started, but they still didn't do a lot of night games. It took them a while no. to kind of get into the night game thing, and then you know. But so yeah, most of the games were in the day. 
and and in early April when the season started, it was cold. Like that wind oh, yes. would, wind would come off the lake, and 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 you'd sit out there for four hours, just freezing your butt off. But yeah, that was. We had a one guy one time. Uh, a guy, uh, my boss was pointing to. You know, he my boss would stand up on the top of the bleachers and look out over the crowd for people that were doing illegal things, and then he'd point. We didn't have, <laughs> oh, <laughs> which he was doing a lot of looking, and and then he pointed to me and he said, "Over there, over there." And I, I looked to my right, and there's a guy um, dumping something onto the, the the warning track, leaning over the wall, you know, by the ivy there, and dumping oh, something. So I spring over there and I go, what are you doing, sir? And he goes, it's my brother. And I go, what do you mean it's your brother? He goes, it's his ashes. <laughs> oh, man. And so there's wind is whipping and this, this gray powder is just like whipping all over the bleachers. And this guy is dumping his brother's ashes on the warning track at Wrigley Field. And, uh, yeah, that was one of the craziest things that I saw. And, and one time a guy tried to jump on the field. Like, if you know how they got, like, chain link? Oh, God. They got this chain link trap sure. yeah. so that, it, you know, you can yep. fall in it, but it's hard to jump over. But one guy was so drunk, a Phillies fan, he's like, no, I'm going on the field, you know. And, and I reach over. I, <laughs> I catch him right before he goes. And I got him by, like, the scruff of the neck. And he's dangling over the field. And I hear the whole stadium. The whole, it was a night game. And the whole stadium pointing and looking at what's going on at you know out in the because this guy is half dangling off the thing and the whole stadium and i'm just struggling to keep this guy from from landing on the field and then two more guys come in and we're just dragging this guy and his pants you know get stuck on the chain link fence and his his, his butt is just bare you know and the whole stadium is clapping and laughing it was one of the craziest things we got him up and threw him in the slammer and i'm sure the cops took care of him <laughs> we threw him in the slammer did you, uh, wasn't there a singer, Andy, maybe you could look this up for me. There was a singer, I believe, and I can't remember his name, uh, who wanted his ashes buried under home plate at Wrigley Field. Oh, really? And I don't know if, yeah, God, I can't remember the guy's name, though. He, I, uh, it was like Cashman, or, uh, I can't remember the guy's name. But he actually did a song about how, because he died very young of cancer, if I remember correctly. And he wanted his ashes buried under home plate at, at Wrigley, but I don't know if that ever. I doubt that they ever let that happen. But I don't see anything. There's nothing at all. So. Um, there's something. Oh wait, do you mean Steve Goodman? Steve Goodman. That's Steve exactly Goodman. who it is. Yeah. Okay. Big Cubs fan. So what, what yeah. was the song about? Um, well, well there was just a rumor that that happened. Oh, here we go. Uh, a dying Cubs fan's last request is what it is. Buried under home plate. It's about that. Um, apparently, in 1988, they did make it happen. They did make it, so it actually did happen. How cool is that? Yeah. Oh, wait, they went. He was buried out in left field. Oh, left field, not under home plate. Okay. Yeah. Fantastic story. There's a lot Tim, of thanks ashes. Thanks so much. Great story. <laughs> Thank you. There's a lot you. of ashes at Wrigley Field. We found that out. Oh, yeah. yeah, they had to make it like you can't do that anymore. <laughs> yeah, they did, absolutely. Yeah, 2016, no more ashes at Wrigley Field. Tim Harmston, ladies and gentlemen, at Acme tonight and tomorrow night. Thank you, Tim. Yeah, thanks, Tom. We'll be back, Tom Bernard.